10. Yes. Our message today on this May 15, 2011 is going to be called Dialed In. <clears throat> I put some things in your bulletin that didn't print correctly, some Hebrew fonts that didn't show up rightly, so I put them on the screen and I will walk you through some of that as we go later. Please don't be distracted by it. Where your attention needs to be this morning is in the 10th chapter of John. Tell me when you're there. Amen. Amen. So in the 10th chapter of John and starting in the 7th verse. Therefore Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Or some translations may say, have life more abundantly. From this, I'd like to infer a couple things that I think are incredibly important. So please don't miss them. There is life, and then there is a more abundant life. Amen. From this, what we hear is there are two ways to live. There is an existence, and then there is something that Jesus called life to the full. Come on now. Aren't there thousands of self-help books? Aren't there motivational programs all over the television? In fact, if they want to sell you vitamins, they talk to you about a better, healthier life. None of these people have the prescription. Jesus said that in Him, we would have life to the full. Can you acknowledge not everybody who is living is really living? Amen. Yeah. Do you remember when that was you? Yeah. Yeah. I do too. I want to talk this morning about how to dial into that, that life. That real kind of thing. In Greek, this is zoe. Z-O-E. Zoe. In Hebrew, they call it hi. Kind of like, hi, how are you? <laughs> Except it comes more from the back of your throat. Hi. And it doesn't just mean to exist. It means to live vibrantly, fully, fully expressive, flourishing in the kingdom. So, as we talk about this in John, we've got two forms of life. One that exists, and one that is a flourishing, teeming life. But to start with, I'd like to talk to you about how miraculous both are. If you've ever seen people try to conceive a baby, you know that that can take a miracle. If you've ever known anybody, I have friends, Jeff and June Newman, they prayed for 14 years to have a baby. When they got the baby, they named him Noah. He was a comfort to them. And it was special. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Life is a gift. The Bible teaches that there is an author of life. All life is a gift, no matter how well it is or is not lived out. Let's just talk about life as existence for a moment. You know how fragile this is? It's an amazing thing. There is a science called the science of fine-tuning. It has to do with the idea that there is a narrow set of parameters that if they didn't exist or they were tweaked even slightly, life of any kind would not exist. When you start with this, I put numbers in your bulletin. Number one was 93. I wanted to talk to you about this because 93 is how many million miles the earth is from the sun. That's a long ways, right? I asked for directions one time from Lafayette to a little town called Abbeville. 
And a man told me, you can't get there from here. You have to start somewhere else. <laughs> I didn't know what he meant for a while. And I realized he was pulling my leg because I didn't have the local accent. Right? <laughs> 93 million miles is a long, long ways. It's an amazing thing about that. Because 99% of all energy on the earth, 99% travels that distance of 93 million miles and makes it to the earth. That works out to be over 600, I'm sorry, 6 million tons of energy delivered from the earth or from the sun to the earth every second. That's an amazing thing. The earth is, is constantly being showered in energy. Uh, whether it's just in the form of radiant energy or all of the forms of energy that it delivers. But the earth is being showered in it. If the earth had been placed 92 million miles from the sun, it would freeze and no life could exist here. If the earth had been placed 94 million miles from the sun, we would not be able to exist here. I got that backwards, actually. If it was closer, it would be hot. Very hot. If it was further away, it would be so cold that life couldn't exist. When you think of 93 increments on the dial, right? Anybody ever had a combination lock with 30 some odd increments? Come on, when you were in seventh grade and you had to go to your locker and you had to learn to do that for the first time, one little digit off and it didn't open, it didn't close. Well, if you imagine a dial somewhere over here on my left, your right side of the stage, and the first one out of 93 or four digits, we had to have set exactly on the 93rd digit or else life could not exist here. Is that an amazing thing? <coughs> How about this next one? I put down point zero zero one. It's easier for me to think about 1% and then take a tenth of that. If you have a hundred of something, you take one of them and then cut that into ten pieces and that's what we would be talking about. That is the level of variance in the sun's output of energy during an 11 year sun cycle. So the sun goes through cycles and every 11 years it repeats a pattern. But during that 11 year pattern, it never varies in energy output more than one tenth of 1%. If it did, if it, if it varied just say 1%, it would either burn up the earth or freeze the earth. Is that an amazing thing? It's almost like we had one dial that had to be set exactly on 93. Well, how about this? A thousandth of a percent. What, or a thousandth of one. I mean, point zero zero one. The next dial had to be set there just for life to exist. Are you beginning to feel like there must have been some design to this process? Oh, yeah. When we begin to look, your next number on your chart is 23.5. If you're having flashbacks to 7th grade science, forgive me. I find that what Psalm 19 says about the creation speaking forth the glories of God, everywhere you look, it's as if He wrote His signature across the creation. Can you say amen to that? In fact, when you look in the mirror, you need to acknowledge you are a walking, living, breathing miracle. Every time you hear your name called, your ear has been wonderfully and beautifully designed. You know, in your body is DNA. And within the DNA are little strands 
They say that those things would stretch around the globe many times if even one person's was unraveled and every centimeter of it is hardwired to be you. Isn't that an amazing thing? Our King has put you in a special place in the universe. Two weeks ago I talked to you about Malak Olam, King of the universe. And the King of the universe, I, was upon you. And to create for you a habitable environment. He's done some things. He set these dials, these fine-tuned dials, so that your life could exist and even flourish. 23.5. All of the planets in the solar system. I don't know. Nolan, would you stand up? Nolan's now Mercury. Uh, Cody, you stand up, you'll be Jupiter. <laughs> this is roughly proportional. <laughs> Steph, would you stand up? We're going to make Stephanie Earth. This is not Earth, though. Steph, can you kink to the left? 23, a little more. 23.5. This is Earth. All of the other planets in the solar system stand straight up and down. But just like Steph, 23.5 kicked over. It's the Earth. We need to go and sit down. We have an angular tilt in our axis. This is what gives us our seasons. It also protects us from something. If the earth were vertical, we're the only planet that we know of that has oceans in the way that we do. And if the earth were vertical, it would be in danger of being tidally locked. This means that all of the water would move in such a way that the earth would stop having its normal rotations. It would stop cycling through seasons like it does. And we would have a hot side and a cold side. The hot side would be too hot to have life. The cold side would be too cold to have life. We must have our angular tilt to the earth. If we had too much tilt, it wouldn't work. If we had not enough tilt, it wouldn't work. The next one on your list is 60-40. This is not how you and your wife divide your paycheck. 60-40. This is an amazing number. How do we get an angular tilt to the planet? 60% of the gravitational force that results in the tilting earth comes from the moon. The other 40% from the sun. Wow, what about that? That means that 60% of the gravitational force that is pulling the earth over came from the moon and 40% from the sun. I would have thought those numbers were the other way around. But then think about this question. What would happen if there was no moon? Yeah, I heard one commentator named Rob Bell describe this. He said from... Um, a cosmological, not makeup, but as in astronomy, <laughs> cosmos, uh, equivalent would be this. The, the, stand up, JJ, come stand over here. The uh, scientists say that the Earth is over there. This is JJ. He, he's now traveling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. Yeah? And then while he's doing that, he's also rotating at 1,000 miles every hour. <laughs> this, this is why some days you feel slightly uh, off base, right? Yeah, you're doing good. You're good there. So how did we get a moon? Well, uh, the, the learned people of our time say that an asteroid was flying through space. It happens to catch up to JJ, who's going 67,000 miles an hour and spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, and then it got caught in the gravitational pull. Come up here. Come on the stage. You can stay there. It gets caught in the gravitational pull, and then all of a sudden, oh, it decides to stay there. Perfectly, right here. 
And this is what gives us our tidal shift. It's what gives us our seasons. It's what causes the angular displacement. If it was a little further, wouldn't work. If it was a little closer, wouldn't work. If the rock that we call the moon was a little bigger, wouldn't work. If it was a little smaller, wouldn't work. If the earth was twice its size, you would weigh eight times what you do. And you thought it was the Pancho's buffet, right? If the earth was half of its size, it wouldn't hold the atmosphere. These things have been very finely tuned. And our king did that so that we would have a place to live. Amen. How about this one? 21%. 21% of our atmosphere is oxygen. If you raise that just a couple of points, or lower it just a couple of points, life does not exist here. Right? Now how many dials are we up to? Five. That's our fifth dial. Now, as we do this, there's a haunting revelation that you need to get. You could have four of these dials right and have the fifth wrong and it would render the accuracy of all of the others null and void. If any one of these is not set correctly, life as we know it does not exist. Are you beginning to feel uh, rare, special, unique? My goodness. 21% is the oxygen. 3.4%. This is a this is a unique number. It, it has actually two properties with it. John has 3.4% salt in his bloodstream. Exactly 3.4. If he had 4.4, he would die. If he had 2.4, he would die. The world's oceans have exactly 3.4% salt. If it was any higher, it wouldn't sustain life. If it was any less, it would not sustain life. Life. Isn't that amazing? Our king finally set these things. We're going to get to the seventh, but I'd like you to consider this for a moment. Depending on who you talk to, most people say that it is incontrovertible, meaning that the most stringent atheists don't argue with this principle. There are at least 38 that are beyond contestation of these dials. Then, when you look a little further... There's 97 that are more than generally accepted. It's only the strictest or, uh, um, opponents of this theory, of this concept, would deny. So we have 38 incontrovertible. We have 97 that are so well accepted it, it's, it's considered fact. There are a couple hundred that most scientists agree on. This gets down to the electrical charge of an atom. It gets into amazing principles that are way beyond me. But the point being, you wouldn't have to envision five or six or seven dials. You have to envision no less than 38. Probably no less than 97. Maybe, even likely, several hundred of them. And if anyone was even a degree off, your life couldn't exist. The goal here is that you understand all life, whether it's lived well or not lived well, is a very precious gift. It had to begin with God. This is why He's the author of life. It's why He's the source. And if it began with God, your life should revolve around Him. When we talk about existence, it's important that we get this seventh one. 3019. What could that be? Some of you with mathematical minds 
at this point have figured out some of the list and you're beginning to scratch. This is something that the scientific community would not understand. Turn with me to Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. In what verse? 19. 19. Deuteronomy 30. In verse 19. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. Before we read any further, does God have the right to call heaven and earth as a witness? Of course He made them. In what way do they witness their very existence, their proportions, their speed, their rotation, everything about them witness to the fact that He exists and created you to exist. Everything about it. You cannot go anywhere in the cosmos and not find something that is significantly designed by an intelligent, loving, benevolent God. You know, it's an amazing thing because some people would say this is an intellectual decision, and yet, inherently, the Bible says a man who says there is no God is a fool. And it is not speaking about someone who lacks intelligence. That's not what that word fool means. It means so morally depraved that you cannot acknowledge a spiritual truth. Isn't that an amazing thing? This is because it goes way beyond reason and logic. Our king put his stamp on everything around us so that any honest observer says in his heart, there is a God. Deuteronomy 30. Verse 19, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. Hold up your Bible. Put your Bible up. If you're holding up a phone right now, you need to know that that is not what this church teaches. I want you to have a book, a Bible, that you can develop a relationship with, that you begin to know what it looks like, that you begin to love it. Your arms are tired, huh? Hold up this Bible. This is life and it is death. The way that it is life and death depends upon how you treat it. You can put it back in your laps now. I tell you, other things that are life and death issues don't get thrown in the trunk of your car. Other things that are life and death issues you don't leave the house and forget to have. Other things that are life and death issues are probably not next to ridiculous games on an electronic device. I want to encourage you that a word that was revealed from the heavens to a whole nation at one time might be worth actually owning a physical copy of and engaging the text. Amen. If you are getting the impression I'm not fond of an electronic Bible as your only source, then praise God you're dialed in to what I'm trying to tell you. I've benefited greatly from learning to love the Word. Amen. I love it. It's not the same place that I read text messages. It's not the same place that I have to answer calls for bill collectors. I love the Word. It is life to me. I want you to develop a relationship with the written Word in the form of a personal Bible. If you have ten of them, that's great. Pick one of them that you like to read the most. Get familiar with it. Visualize it so that if it was taken away from you, you could still see it in your mind. Friends, there may be a day when the Bible is not as easy to come by as it is now. This book is written in the blood of other men. The first people who printed it in the language of the common people, the vernacular, were burned on the printing presses that they printed it on. 
a worldwide religious institution called it the pest, as in pestilence. They hated it. They opposed it. Until 1869 in Italy, it was illegal to own a Bible in any language other than Latin. Mm. These are not like trivial things. This is your life. If you think I'm just being old and hokey and archaic, you need to consider that there's more than one form of existence on this planet. And God is calling heaven and earth as a witness. And He told us at the same time that everything around us is witnessing. I'm setting before you life and death. Now let's see what He says it is. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. This word may live does not... It's, <laughs> you're going to like this, right? It sounds like we're in uh, one of those Kung Fu theater films, right? To say this properly in Hebrew sounds like this. Hayah! <laughs> Isn't that great? Hayah! To live does not mean to exist. Hayah means to flourish. Our God did not simply want you to live on this ball of dirt. He wanted you to flourish on it. This is why He said, I want you to go fill the earth. I want you to multiply. I want you to be vibrant. Amen. Jesus said that there was someone who has come to steal that from you. He has come to destroy. He's come to kill. But Jesus Himself came that you might have a vibrant, that you might... Hayah. You might live with passion. Come on now. Can you not say passion? Passion. I tell you, this is like preaching in Germany. You say the most exciting things in the world, and they look at you and go, yeah. They have an excuse. They live in a frozen land. What is ours? Come on now. Hayah. We need to live with passion. Now, in your bulletin, you don't see the Hebrew letters. This is because my printer wouldn't print it. I'm sorry. I put it on the, the screen for you to see it. If you ever wanted to learn how you can get to know these numbers, right? Turn to Psalm 119. Tell me when you're there. There. Come on, Matthew's there, but I'm not, I'm not going to read it till all of you get there. There. I love you too much to have only half participation or 10% participation. We're all going to get on board or we'll get on different flights, right? But we want you all here. Did better with that. Y'all in Psalm 119? There. Amen. When you're in Psalm 119, because God wanted His people to love His Word, it was their life. When He had the writers pen this, it's an acrostic. This means that every single paragraph started with a new letter in Hebrew. And then within each paragraph, there are other patterns. This was so that it would be like singing the ABCs. It would be something that lent itself to memory. Now, many of you already knew this, but I wanted to show you how to find something like Hayah and visualize it if you don't have some of the Bible programs that I have. When you look at this, the first thing that you would want to do is... To say Hayah in Hebrew, we have what in English looks like an H, a Y, and an H. Because there are no vowels in the Hebrew language. In reality, this is Hef, Yod, and Hey. If you want to see what Hef looks like, look at verse 57 in your Bible. Where it says, You are my portion, O Lord, and I have promised to obey your words. Do you see that? Amen. You have a picture of a Hef there. Most of your Bibles will have a picture that says Hef. 
And it will have an example of the, that Hebrew letter. Well, if you wanted to see a Yod, you would look at verse 73 and above it. It's the one that looks a little bit like an apostrophe. If you wanted to see a hey, it would be in verse 33. And you would see the letter above it. Are you following me with that? Amen. Do you have pictures in your Bible? Raise your hand if you do not have pictures in your Bible of the letter. Wow, everybody here does. Amen. I was going to take my new Bible. What we have is we have uh, Heth, Yod, and Hay, and they come from verse 57, verse 73, and verse 33. This is how the Hebrews uh, memorize things. And if you want to visualize letters, by the way, there's such very little difference between Heth and Hay that it, it's, it's almost impossible for us to recognize, but there's a little unbroken line there. Now that, that's all the school lesson you get. We're going to get back to the Word. I mean, this is actually the Word, but we're going to get back to the Word in your language. Fair enough? Yes. You want to get in the Word? Okay. So you're going to have to talk to me. Okay. Come on. Okay. I want you to consider then that if we have six dials that I presented in your bulletin that God Himself set, who sets the seventh dial? Who decides whether or not you choose life or death? Who gets to decide how that very important dial is set? You do. So for existence, that can only come from God, and He does it for all men who are alive. But for something that is better than just existence, something that is hayah, it is flourishing, He left that up to you. Wow, are you feeling empowered or discouraged? Your life doesn't look like you want it to look? Well... The answer is that He has set life and death before you. You need to examine what you've chosen for yourself. I tell you, I heard one preacher say it this way. He said, you're Americans. One thing about you is you will do exactly what you want to do. And no one will stop you. The pastor said that, and his church people said they couldn't come on Wednesday night. They had children. And they didn't want to keep their children up that late. However, on Thursday night, those very same kids had baseball games. No problem keeping them out till 10 for that. Yeah, am I speaking your language now? We are going to choose life or death. We do exactly what we want to do, and our life will reflect our choices. You know, Leonard Ravenhill said the problem with the American church is it wants to be raptured from responsibility. And this is true. We want to be able to make all of the wrong choices. We want to choose death all of the time and then look back and say, well, this is, you know, God did this to me. No, He said before you the choice to do it. We need to acknowledge up front that we have a problem. The problem is that for all the hundreds of dials that God set and they are immutable, they're immovable because He wanted to give you life. There is one that only you can do something about. And this is how you view His Word and how you interact with it. Am I telling the truth? If I am, yes, say amen. amen. Turn with me then to Genesis 2 and verse 9. In Genesis 2 and verse 9, we see these words. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was in the middle of the garden? The tree of life. life. The tree of chai or hayah. The tree of life. Flourishing life. 
Now let me ask you, you Bible scholars, before this time, before man in Genesis uh, 3 commits a sin, what is life like? It's paradise. It's paradise. It's flourishing. It's teeming with life. It's not just good. The Bible says it is very good. Right? How long was that time period? Anybody got a calculator? We have no idea. For as long as eternity is before man made a mistake with this tree, for as long as you can go back in time before it, things were good for man. Turn with me to Revelation 22. Tell me when you're there. It's the last book in your Bible. If you hit maps and concordances, you went too far. In Revelation 22, look at verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. In the first book of the Bible, there is a tree. And before man interacted with the tree of life in a bad way, things were perfect. They were flourishing. In the last book of the Bible, right near the end, where are things? The setting is back with a garden and a tree of life. How good are things going to the right on the timeline from Revelation 22? Pretty darn good. So eternity before man interacted with the tree of life was pretty good. Eternity after the man interacted with the tree of life, pretty good, right? So what we have to deal with is this time between the trees. This is the course of our human history, our events. These are like those, I don't know what you're supposed to call them, the road assistant bumps. We call them drunk bumps. This is what we're bumping into constantly trying to keep us on the path. The knowledge that God created us to walk with Him, but we messed it up, bumped into that tree. The knowledge that He is fixing it, and we will walk rightly with Him again if we choose to. And we bump into that tree. This time period between these two bookends is why things don't feel right with the world. It's why you wake up and you're depressed some days. It's why you hope somebody would love you and instead they hurt you. It's the time between the trees. But I want to ask you about this time between the trees. Does it go on forever? No, it has a beginning and it has an ending. And we get to choose how we experience it. Our God set before us life and death while between the trees of life. He set before us a choice whether we would dwell in His blessing or dwell in His curse now. Amen. Mm. We have another problem. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 5. Tell me when you're there. What happens when God gives His Word to mankind? In Deuteronomy 5, He begins saying things. And each one of these is a divine dictate. People call it a decalogue. They call it all kinds of things. I have a hard time with all of their titles because to emphasize 10 is to de-emphasize the other 603. And any time our God said something that was important, amen? amen? So the Jews simply call these mitzvahs. This means that a command for life. That's what it means. Uh, you would, you would wake up in the morning as a young Jewish kid learning them. Every time you saw your daddy's prayer shawl, it had 613 knots in it. 613 commands. This was to teach us all of our life that every word that proceeded from the mouth of God was 
flawless. It was perfect. But the very first time a nation received the Word of God that you call the Ten Commandments, that I have grown up calling that, and in reality it was far, far more than that. Listen to what God says about it. It's in Deuteronomy 5, starting in verse 29. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all of my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. When God introduced His Word during this time period between the trees, He introduced it for the express purpose that your life would go well. And who else's life? Children's lives would go well. I sat in this very church and sat down with a mother and said, Sweetheart, what you're doing is going to hurt your children. She said, Don't you speak that over my kids. Really, am I speaking it over the children or are her actions causing it to happen to the children? Friends, we live in denial at times. We act like our choices do not breed life or death, but they do. What we do extends God's kingdom of life to people or it extends death to them with every choice. You ask a pastor a question like, hey, is it okay to gamble, right? This is a question that churches wrestle with today. And you go to your Bible concordance and you look and you go, gambling's not mentioned in the Bible. No comment, right? Except that God told His people from the very beginning, you shall not covet. He said, but I didn't know how to interpret that. So Colossians says, covetousness is idolatry. How would you know this though? How would you know something like this unless the Word said it? But when the Word says it, it gives us a choice. It puts before us that which God says is good for us and that which He says is not. This choice becomes a litmus test of whether or not He is God or you are God. By the way, in this covetousness example, whatever it might be, it's not actually you that's God. Covetousness is idolatry, Colossians says. So who's God if you're participating in something that's covetousness? No, it's not you. It's the item that you're worshiping. Oh my goodness. Why did it get quiet in here? <laughs> I have heard testimonies in, in even our church. Oh, I found a scratch off and the Lord blessed me. Yeah. You need to be careful. Mm-hmm. I'm not here preaching against gambling. I, I suffice it to say, let's preach against covetousness and then let you draw the conclusions. Yeah. I'm also not going to tell you what kind of movies to watch. I'm just going to tell you what the Word says and then you Amen. judge it. Every part of our life is a choice since you're going to do exactly what you want to do. So somewhere we need to change the desires of our heart. We need to learn to hate sin, as Romans 12 says, and love, cling to God. Otherwise we choose what is wrong and then act like we don't know how we got where we're at. How many people do you know They've gone from broken relationship to broken relationship and they don't know why their life is the way that it is and so they're dealing with it in a bottle. They just can't figure out why this stuff keeps happening to me. I got one relative that I love desperately. Tortured soul. Every husband she's had has beat her. 
She's an incredible alcoholic to the point where it's difficult to even be around her. And she cannot figure out how she got that way because she is avoiding the inescapable conclusion that she has chosen to live this way. And that by the power of God, she can choose to live a different way. Amen. People go, oh my goodness, though, that's so cruel. What's cruel about it? It was always her choice. But I want to tell you, this is not about my relative. It's about your life and your choice. How will you choose to live? One of the most amazing capacities that human beings have is for self-deception. Well, I am the way that I am because my parents made me. Well, who made your parents? They are the way they are because of their parents. You take it all the way back to Adam. Friends, we come from the same disease stock. At some point, you choose to live a certain way. Amen. I have no patience for anybody above the age of about 15 that is blaming their life upon their parents. You know why? From 13 on, you were supposed to interact with God's Word and learn to make Amen. choices. Amen. 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 You will find out that a 13-year-old kid will read a book called Aragon 800 pages in a single evening but cannot manage to read a single chapter of Deuteronomy. Why? Oh, we can blame the parents all day long and friends. From 1 to 13, you were supposed to teach them. If you didn't, that's between you and the Lord. You will reap your choice as well. But if they can't, why? They have choices. And friends, bad choices multiply and multiply and multiply. And then you have a 20-year-old that has no regard for life, is not treating you well, and you don't know why. I'm telling you why right now. Deuteronomy wants us, tells us, I want you to choose life and live. God Himself says, I wish their hearts were inclined, slanted towards following Me, that it might go well with them. I want you to pick this up. This might help. Turn with me then to John 8. We're all going to live some kind of existence. We get to choose what kind of existence we're going to live. Come on, everybody get there. Don't be scared to speak in church. This was never supposed to be sage on a stage. This was never supposed to be some enlightened individual who is sharing with the poor masses what they don't know. You know what church was supposed to be? It was supposed to be a gathering of all of those who were called out by the living God. It was supposed to be a group of people who all had been inspired by the living God and they got together to share one with another what God had shown them. This is what church is supposed to be. That's hard to do if you're seated like a stone statue right here going, I'm going to endure for another hour and then, dear God, maybe He'll be done. Church is supposed to be you. It's supposed to be what you brought for the person on the side of you. Hey, I made this choice and look, it flourished. Have you never been around people that had gardens? Come on now, have you been around anybody that had a garden? Matthew managed to grow one little fig on a tree and he showed everybody that he knew. Everybody, look, look, I made a choice. I planted something. I watered it. I nurtured it. And look what happened. Life. We also can share the other examples. Oh, I yeah. planted this, I watered it, and death. Wrong soil, wrong seed, wrong water, I don't know. But you can tell by the fruit of something. 
whether or not it was good. Come on now, look at your lives honestly. Look back. You don't need your pastor to tell you it was wrong or it was right. You don't need some enlightened individual. Be a fruit inspector. Amen. Look back and go, did I benefit from this? Was this what God wanted for me? Or am I tearing down what God is trying to build? Whose team am I on? The stealing team? The destroying team? The killing team? Or am I on the life and life abundant team? Jesus Christ came to destroy the devil's work. You cannot be on his team and participate in the devil's work. We can't. Where is the fruit in your life? Is what it's showing you? Is it showing you? Yes, it hurt when I did what God's word says. But look in the long run, it was a blessing. One problem is we don't get perspective. We have only this time between the trees, but we don't get perspective because we don't live with our choices long enough. Brother Charlie shared on prayer the other night. Daniel prayed for 21 days committed. And so he saw the fruit of his labor. He got to hear the words, you Daniel who are highly esteemed, I have come in response to your word since the moment you set your face towards gaining understanding and humbling yourself. I was sent. But you know what? We don't live with our choices that long. We go, oh God, if you help me, if you help me, would you kill him? What he's done to me is wrong. Do you see the way He's treating me? We pray like that. Or, dear God, give me patience. I'm through. Let's go get something to eat. Let's go watch something on TV. It's American Idol on tonight. We don't live with a choice long enough to see its fruit. We bounce around like immature infants or like a windshield wiper going from this side to that side slinging stuff everywhere. And then we wonder why our lives look the way they do. Man, we have an attention deficit disorder. The whole nation does. We cannot keep our attention on the Lord. We've got a deficit there. And our eyes are bouncing all over the place from this idol to that idol to this idol. It's hard for the Lord to find enough obedience that springs up from the earth for faithfulness to look down, as the Word says, and bless something. But if you just turn for a little while, you know, we've made this thing about <coughs> We've gone, oh, well, I sinned, so now God's favor is not on me. Friends, it's so much more than that. Look at John 8 with me. John will explain it better than I can. Amen. <laughs> Amen, sister. I love you. Amen. What happened in John 8? A woman is caught, Right? Caught in the very act of adultery. What did Jesus tell her though? He says uh, at the very end, verse 11, uh, He asked her, did anyone condemn you? She said, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I want you to get this. He had a chance to burn her. He could go, aha, I caught you. I was looking for a chance for you to step out of line so I could burn you. But this is not His heart. When she is caught beyond any shadow of a doubt, the God who created everything for her to exist in wanted her to flourish. But the way that she was living 
was defined by sin. This was not that God was angry because of a sin that she did. It's that she could not be pleasing to herself or her Creator while continuing this kind of existence. It was simply beneath where God had called her. Come on now. Do you know that sin degrades you? You were called to be sons and daughters of God. And every time we do some horrible thing, it's not that God goes, that's not it. Is that you have suddenly diminished yourself. And He goes, I can't bless this. You cannot flourish like this. This kills you. It destroys you. It robs from you. This is of the opponent, the enemy. God wants you to flourish. Many people have turned the gospel into something that is just beating up someone who does something wrong and rewarding all of those good church people that dress right and say the right things. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that there is more than one form of existence. And our God wants you to flourish in His presence. And He set before you the choice. He put it in your lap and your hands. He could have controlled it all. He could have made Matthew so that Matthew had no choice. He could have made Diana so that she had no choice. But instead, He set up the perfect environment, the rarest thing in the cosmos, where life could flourish and exist. And then He put one thing in your control. We call it a free will. But today maybe we should call it a free will. It's a dial. And you get the chance to turn it wherever you want. Will you incline your heart towards the Lord? Will you do what His Word says? Or will you in a stubborn, idolatrous fashion do what you have always done and get what you have always gotten and then turn and say, I don't know how I got this way. I drive past a bar that is in my neighborhood every day. And if you drive past it at about 7 o'clock, there's a little silver Chevy Aveo there. This is a relative. It's a man that I love. Spent years in our church. I've witnessed and witnessed and witnessed. Drives 25 miles to go to a bar because he likes the bar. His grandkids are two miles from the bar. Grandkids school, one mile from the bar. It's a choice, friends. I don't know why my grandkids aren't close to me. I don't know... Why is my son always acting that way? It's a choice, friends. Nobody does these things to us. We choose to do these things. God has empowered us to choose life. And then he laments in his very heart and says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to choose me. So much so that he will give you divine power from the heavens. To do what He's asking you to do. He didn't just say to this woman, go leave your life of sin. He took the Spirit that was in Him and poured it out so that if she wanted it, Him, if she wanted Him, she could have power to do what He called her to do. Amen. Amen. But it's a choice. And we do what we want to do. And today it's treated like a sunroof in a car. It's an optional add-on to Christianity. Well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Are you telling me I have to? How absurd. Choose life. 
This is before us all of the time we choose life or we choose death. Let me ask you something. If there was a supernatural endowment with heavenly power from on high that caused you to be able to witness the gospel, that edified your spirit and built it up and built it up and helped you understand the word and gave you power to love people others wouldn't, why would you not want this? I sat in a restaurant in Port Novaca, Louisiana after preaching in a certain denominational church. A woman came because she wanted to sit with me. She wanted to talk to me for a while. Something radical about the message drew her. But she looked me right in the eye and said, I do not want the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I could not imagine saying something like that. A chance to be clothed with divine power, a participator in God's nature. And she said, it's a choice, friends. It is a choice. You know, we make some choices because we made other bad choices. Yeah. In this case, in the 70s, she made a bad choice, and that was still shaping her to this day. Living less than God had called her to be. So our message is plain before everybody. We lay it out there before everybody. You can get everything in the kingdom of God simply by choosing life. Or you can continue to receive death. This is what Jesus said. The verdict is already gone out. But it's up to you. It is up to you. Turn with me to Luke 12. I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't warn you about some things that you should not consider. Of hundreds and hundreds of dollars that are necessary for life to exist on this planet. There is only one that is necessary for your life to flourish in God's kingdom. It is how you do or don't relate to His Word. But an amazing thing, the tempter comes and he does what tempters do. He tries to get you to focus on something else. So listen to how Jesus, the living, walking, breathing Torah, the Word of God, speaks to the people. And in the 22nd verse of chapter 12 in Luke. Then Jesus said to His disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, or what you will wear. If I didn't preach anything else, how much time, money, energy, effort goes into what we will eat, what we will wear, and our bodies? I don't know about you, but if you've ever turned on the TV like I have on a Saturday morning, that is all that is on. A 30-minute infomercial about what you should eat, what you should wear, and how to build or lean or clean your body. That's all that is on. And the King of the universe appeared in flesh and came and taught His own relatives first. And now that message has come to us. And He said, Do not worry about these things. Of all the dials that are out there that you have control over, out of all of the dials, He's showing you what is not important to focus on. He left only one dial for you to be concerned with. Just one. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? 
Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little trust? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Do you see that it is a choice like setting a dial? To set your inward desires on such things. The king of the universe says don't. And then listen to what else he says. For the pagan world runs after such things. It's almost like he had never been to church in America. (laughs) Boy, that's an interesting theory if you think that all the way through. Has he been to church in America? Mm. (laughs) He said that the pagan world runs after these things. So would it be safe to say that it's fair biblical exegesis to look at this as a system of interpretation and say if you see people that are running after what they eat, what they wear, and concerned about their bodies, that they are pagans? Mm. We're uncomfortable with that, aren't we? Because it's talking about us. Me included. Isn't that an amazing thing? How do you determine then what the God kingdom works with? But seek His kingdom and these things will be given you as well. Amen. Where is your focus, friends? You can choose life or you can choose death. Choosing death looks like this. Being concerned with civilian affairs all around you. Do you know what he said? Do you know what she said? On TMZ, they printed this. Do you know what kind of pants so-and-so's got? Do you know what kind of car so-and-so's got? You know, if I invest in this 401k, I bet I could do this. And -and so-and-so did that, and I think I can do better than him. Running after all of these things produces death. But seeking the kingdom, letting His Word direct you in every choice, will give you everything that you just left. Clothes, food, provision, everything that you just left. And a flourishing life. So then the question becomes not, do you have clothes or don't you, but how did you get them? The question becomes not, do you have a 401k or don't you, but how did you get it? Were your decisions born out of seeking the kingdom? Or were they born after the same thing that every other pagan is born after. We only have so much time between these trees because the God of the universe has declared Takun Ha'olam. This is Hebrew for repairing the world. He's going to fix it. And the way that He fixes it is He purges out of it everyone who is not interested in His kingdom and leaves only those who are. Oh my goodness, it got quiet. <laughs> Don't want to be on that you know how we know who the sons of God are and who the children of the devil are? by the choices they make and the resulting fruit. Now let's not think about our neighbor on our left and right. Let's think about our own life for a minute. What is most important to us? When it comes right down to it, do we care more about 20 ounces of water filtered through a bean that you can buy from Starbucks? Or do we care more about something God cares about? See, our life is the sum total of our choices. Thinking like this will cause you to make some dramatic Life changes. And it seems to be that that's exactly what Jesus was aiming at. All of the interpretation 
All of the theologians, all of the 2,000 years of religion cannot change these words. Listen to them. Do not be afraid, little flock. Not megachurch. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You go look in 19 of 20 commentaries and it's going to tell you why that does not apply to you. And you'll love it and buy the next commentary that they print. I want to ask you, if your life is the sum total of the choices you make, yes. is it life or death? Do you need to do some gardening in your heart? The Bible says it's the wellspring of life. You need to guard it. It also says it's exceedingly wicked and deceptive. So the only way that you know how to properly judge the motives of your heart is the Word of God. And when He said it before His people, He said, even the heavens and the earth itself will be a witness against you about this because they obey His commands. When He says, I want the earth on a 23.5 degree tilt, the earth went. <laughs> when He said, I want this much oxygen. In fact, when He said, let it be, it was. We're the only thing in all of creation that have been given the option to go, nope. And our lives will reflect that choice. I pray, I beg, I plead with you to choose life. Amen. And I want to tell you something. If everybody around you who has good fruit on their tree is telling you something will produce death, you might consider that it's going to produce death. To be self-assured can be such a good thing if you're right. Yeah. If you're wrong, it will produce death. So what the king of the universe has done is he has set up little communities of believers all over the planet that are really members of a much bigger community called the kingdom. And in that community, he gave you brothers. Brothers that you could talk to. Brothers that you could share your life with, share your choices with, and hear from them. And then among those brothers, He had equipped and anointed some of them to help you get where He called you to go, which is a flourishing life and multiplying all over the planet. Amen. That is your fivefold ministry. This is what a kingdom looks like. I want you to consider what the King of the universe did for you. He put a little church here for you. He put you on involved dirt with certain environmental conditions for you. He put the person on your left and your right for you. Acts 17.26 says He determined the exact times and places you would live and work. He did it for you. All in the hopes that you would choose life. Now how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation as this, how shall we escape? Do you hear me? Amen. This is the place where a church would normally have an altar call. I love altar calls. I think they're a good thing. And general, I'm in support of them. But if your decision happened at the altar, stayed at the altar, and never left the altar, how is that choosing life? It's more like agreeing that there is a right way to live. Yeah. You know, in Israel, 
many of the people are secular. <clears throat> the joke in Israel is kind of a play on words. Since the synagogue that we don't go to is the Orthodox synagogue. To us in English, that sounds very much like everybody avoid the Orthodox synagogue. It's not what they're saying. You're saying if we were to go to a synagogue, it would be the Orthodox, but we don't actually go. In other words, they've made a choice that they know that this is the right way to live. But then they don't live that way. Do you know anybody like that? Oh, yeah. yeah. I just got to tell you, this week I had some difficulties. I got to experience life on a lower existence than I was meant to live it. It's yucky. And I don't like it. I don't want it. My wife and I laid in bed last night having put an argument behind us, and we felt the washing of God's Spirit. We felt that joy that alleviates all concern. And the world in an instant, literally in a matter of a half of an hour, went from a dreadful, hopeless, horrible place to live to something like the Garden of Eden. And the choice was ours. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. Stand to your feet. Your altar call will come Monday morning. That will be your altar call. Monday morning you will have a choice to wake up and to live as God called you to live or to continue living a diminished life. That choice will be yours. And no other. Irma can't do it for you. Jacob can't do it for you. Joy can't do it for you. The best any of us can do is encourage you to look at the choices we make. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And this ministry lays them all out there. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So that you can learn by the choices that we make. Mighty God, Lord, I have laid your word before your people. They're yours and not mine. They're your words and not mine. Lord, I confess openly that all too often I have chosen to live a diminished life. But I choose this moment to reach for your word. Lord, I will absorb it into my heart. I will hide it in my heart that I might not sin against you. Lord, that this time between the trees might be full of multiplying your kingdom and seeing people saved. Holy One, I ask that Your Spirit would do the work that I cannot do. Lord, that in my own life You would empower me for God-like behavior rather than nasty, sinful behavior. And that in the lives of these people You would bring this Word to life. That they might live. Lord, we're asking that You would change the inclination of our hearts. That You would dial us into Your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.